Hello, and welcome to the Pain and Bride Quarterly Slush Pile. We curate your work so that you don't have to. Or your reading, I guess I should say. Um, so, yep, the idea of this was born out of the fact that we take a long time to get back to people, but we do because we really care. And um, we are sharing the editorial process with you right now here today. So welcome. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and I'm an essayist, and I direct the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel University. We are in the sound studio, and it's still fun to be back in here. We've only been back for about a month, and I'm really grateful, grateful to Joe Zhang, our sound engineer. And um, in the studio with me today is Tim Fitz. Hi, I'm Tim Fitz. I'm the author of two short story collections, Go Home and Cry for Yourselves and Hypothermia. And in New York is Jason Schneiderman. Hello, I am Jason Schneiderman. And um, I'm coming to you from my lovely windowless office in the borough of Manhattan Community College um, in lovely Tribeca. Woohoo! I'm glad I've been there because I can always picture you when right. you say you're there. Yeah. Just like when you're at home, I can picture your home. Um, so, uh, listeners who are loyal know that I always get super excited when we're doing something new and different and fun. And today's new and different and fun is none other than special guest Gregory Pardlow. I am uh, calling in from my living room. I'm in my pajamas still. Uh, uh, yep, yep, it's been a lazy day. I went out to shovel the snow for a little bit. Uh, I'm the author of two poetry collections and a forthcoming memoir, which will be out April 10th, called Air Traffic. Yeah, real excited about that. And um, yeah, Greg has won many awards. Let's just mention maybe the Guggenheim or maybe the Pulitzer. The Pulitzer, I the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> just that, I, just that. I also want to say that I'm also in my pajamas, even though I came into work. <laughs> I, just, I just roll that way. <laughs> that would be a good idea. You know, they do that at high schools. Why don't we do that at college? Have pajama day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in my pajamas all day yesterday. That was fun. I took a shower and put my pajamas back on <laughs> from the snow that we had here in Philadelphia. Did you get hit hard in New York? Yeah, we did. But it's all it's melting now. Yeah. Uh, it was really easy to shuffle. It was like very wet and not icy at all. Yeah. It was all gone from my neighborhood as well. No streets. Uh, the yeah. parking lot was empty. It was everything was grand. It was an easy snow. Yeah. It was an easy snow. First day of spring snow should be easy, I reckon. Um, it's the least it can do for us. So um, I think we should jump right in because we have a lot of fabulous work to discuss today. We have two poets and um, and two pieces from each of them. So listeners, you know that the way this works is the, uh, the poems themselves are up on our podcast page, which you can reach at pbqmag.org. You can re- get this podcast, I guess you already know because you're listening, just about anywhere. Um, and uh, so you can read along, read before, pause it now, or or listen to us read it. And uh, by us, I mean me. I'm going to jump right in and do this first one, okay? So this is written right. um, written uh, in a prose block. Uh, and there are a lot of itals. So even though I have a cold, I'll try to maybe let you know when it's, when it's an ital. I'll do a little something-something, and maybe you can figure it out, okay? So here we go. Daniel Beagleson, Neighbors 2. Replace glass heart with scalpel. Call for rain. Glisten. 
close up. Magnify leaf until the drop brims with color. Replace leaf with wind. Every June we lose limbs to straight line winds. Elm, maple, oak, ash, etc., etc. They come knocking at night. Redact redundancy. Extinguish the list. Insert space. Remove the catalog. Remove, stack, and mulch the dead wood. Map my internal geography. I am a bowl of cold plums. I am a body of words in uproar and otherwise. Replace words with birds. Fill a tree. Take your pick. Redact free will. Replace map with mine. Relieve the workers. Every day we leave labors behind. Exchange labors with neighbors. The dark sail laced with slim roots swells and subsides beneath us. As the tide, breathing, who are you? Extinguish the implicit. We are the answer. Some of us are no longer breathing. I'm used to defending the singularity of our experiences, but grow concerned about reducing the dead to their individuality. Redact, redeem. We linger longer in blue light. We are not what we say or do. Thank you. Nice reading. There we go. That was really gorgeous. There's okay. only one piece. Um, you said the dark sail. Yeah, oh shoot, shoot! I just realized that you, it did sort of make you kind of need that for the meaning. But it, it was a beautiful reading. <laughs> I've now now I'm chagrined. Should we do it again? Or is that okay, Daniel? Do you think Daniel will be very upset? Can we splice it in from the dark soil? Because you read, read slow enough, you could probably. Everybody say soil. <laughs> Everybody say soil. Okay, how about if I reread that part? Yeah, start with the dark Re soil. Relieve the workers. Every day we leave labors behind. Exchange labors with neighbors. The darker fudge. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, shouldn't have I was it. trying so fucking hard. You did a beautiful job. It was gorgeous. I don't think we yeah, need to redo the, the it. The S was really impressive. Oh my god, that was know, I didn't even plan that, Greg. I was impressed by me. I didn't know how you were going to do that, and then you did it so great. <laughs> then I said, soil. Sail. Daniel, I'm so, so sorry. The dark soil laced with slim roots swells and subsides beneath us. All right. Sure. Let's just go. Yep. So. Jason, what, what difference did it make for you? You said that it's important to get the soil for the meaning. Yeah. Well, the dark soil laced with slim roots swell and subsides beneath us is kind of an earthly image. Mm. And so you kind of need the soil for the roots to be going inside it. If, it. if it's a dark sail with slim roots and you kind of have this like ocean image. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 The water and we have and as the, the tide, which probably only confirmed my mistake for me. Yeah. It has a kind of surrealist <laughs> quality, whereas I, I don't think that that's the intention of yeah. the dark soil. Right. And so everything that's happening is so kind of... Um, disorienting already like and that felt kind of grounded 
Um, so, right. So, listeners, it's called Neighbors 2. Now we can discuss the form a little bit more. And the words that I hope you heard as I tell or <laughs> will look on the website and see. Um, the whole thing is sort of um, didactic, right, in a way. Can we call it that? And um, uh, those words like glass, heart, and scalpel are I telled. Um, so could one of you, one of one of the poets among us, these amazing award-winning poets, explicate in a general way? Maybe. Craig, do you want to jump in? Well, the what I'm what I find is it's a generally lyric poem, and it's kind of self-referential. It's got a, a meta thing going on because we're instructed to replace glass heart with scalpel and uh, we're replace words with birds. And so there, there seems to be this, um, yeah, directive, uh, these imperative sentences that refer to the process of writing the poem or, or writing a poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have all these images, these uh, natural uh, nature imagery and the last couple of lines last few lines is actually where we get some I think um, revelatory or, or, or semantic greater semantic meaning and that is uh, I'm used to defending the singularity of our experiences but grow concerned about reducing the dead to their individuality and so here we have uh, a coherent eye. I mean, I think we, we have an eye earlier in the poem, map my internal geography, I'm a bowl of cold plums, I'm a body of words and uproar and otherwise. But that eye is more clearly a lyric eye that isn't really em- embodied on the, uh, on the page. But we have this, uh, this subjectivity, which is present in the I am used to defending the singularity of our experiences. Um, yeah, so the question I, I get to, having read through the, or having clocked the nat- nature, the sort of landscape imagery, um, and the self-referential quality, the, the ars poetica quality of the poem, mm-hmm. I get to that comment on singularity and collectivity and I want to read that back through the rest of the poem to find out, to figure out how that uh, sort of binary is operating. And I'm not sure that it is. I, I was going to say, that's gorgeous. Um, I was going to say that this is a fairly common strategy, right? Like, I mean, I can think of just off the top of my head, both Charles Simic and Paul Muldoon have poems called Errata that follow this structure of in place of this, say that, right? Replace mm-hmm. glass heart with scalpel, replace leaf with wind. Um, and it both enacts the writing process, as you were saying, you know, like particularly like Ashbury and postmodernists are kind of known for this, like bringing in something that sounds like something else. Um, and I found that really compelling. And, and in a lot of ways, like it has to do with how it's like a surrealist experiment, you know, how effective are these kind of um, juxtapositions like glass, heart and scalpel? I think it's fantastic words with birds like I'm totally on board I mean actually with all of them I was I was really like 
I, I found there seemed to be some very sensual about um, both the sound and the meaning of the words that were being replaced and then the kind of the constant compulsion to take something out, redact redundancy, remove the catalog. I was excited. Well, what do you make of the this commentary on reducing the dead to their individuality? How, what does that say about the practice of writing or the surrealist experiment or simply the, the lyric um, activity of the poem? Well, I don't know, because I wasn't sure how ironic and how straightforward the voice was. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed to me that there was a kind of irony in the way that the voice keeps telling you that whatever it's saying, change it. Right. right? Like I said, this thing, but keep changing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so when it got to, I'm used to defending the singularity of our experiences. We're, we're concerned about reducing the dead to their individuality. Um, I, don't, I mean, maybe this is my own association, and this is the danger of kind of working in an ironic or a um, uh, open-ended mode, but it kind of opens up onto multiple meanings. And I was kind of thinking about the way right now we're very focused on the social and we're very focused on the communal, and there's kind of this renewed suspicion of the individual. There's kind of this renewed suspicion of... Um, one singular experience. And so for me, there was kind of like this nice ironic question about um, how what we've been doing for so long is kind of like looking at the individual as a kind of heroic standout. And um, now it's kind of saying like, maybe we're supposed to look at people en masse, like maybe we're supposed to think about communities. Uh, mm. It's uh, the neighbor. Yeah. Like, do you think that's there? Am I, am, I, am I making that up? <laughs> or like, I felt like that was kind of coming through in this very sort of like, but it's like the noise in this, it's like the noise in the static or like the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the signal in the noise. A, I think if there's a generous reading, yeah. um, but you make a great argument. Uh, and I can see that, like I said, it, it makes sense to me in terms of the neighbors, uh, this, this preoccupation with community and the, place of the individual within the community, but I think throughout most, most of the body of the poem, uh, we're just in lyric territory. I'm not sure there is uh, that argument, remove stack and mulch the dead wood, map my internal geography, fill a tree, take your pick, redact free will, maybe even redact free will. Well, so I guess I'm, I'm, the, the question I'm getting at is, is there something beyond the lyric project here? Or are we just, and that's not to diminish it, the poem, are we just in a kind of lyric landscape? Well, and I think, I think for me, that question always becomes, do I trust the lyric landscape? That right. in a lyric landscape, you never quite know where you are. And to kind of try to pin it down is just sort of insist that the poem not be a poem. Right. That kind of turns the argument. And so personally, like, even though I can sort of talk about all the places where this kind of directs me and like, yeah, to say like, it's about gentrification would be like way too um, limiting, mm -hmm. but I basically trust the lyric in it. Like I feel excited by what it's doing and I'm, I'm comfortable with that kind of um, unstable shifting ground. Um, to, to speak with what Jason was saying about a potential message here, if you get to just 
just past the middle, relieve the workers. Every day we leave labors behind, exchange labors with neighbors. I was thinking about laborers just because of the way this sounds, right? And and starting with relieve the workers. <clears throat> so I think there could be a message, but I don't know. You know, when, when I first read it, even though I screwed up, you guys were like, listen to that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, there could be, it could be about just the, you know, the beauty of the language and the message can be. I think a little more. Um, maybe he wants us to play. For for a while, I was obsessed about fifteen <laughs> years ago with Zen poetry and reading Dogen and Basho all the time. <laughs> so when I see the um, the dewdrop here, I love the idea of. Um, Normally, when we think of magnifying a, a dewdrop, we think of a 360-degree lens where we see everything inside the one little droplet. But here, I love the the sort of sideways turn. And he doesn't talk about all the intricate details you see in the dewdrop. He looks at the dewdrop as a prism. And you look at it until it brims with color, and it starts to illuminate all the different shades of the individual drop. And then the poet seems to start to dig into the shades of the individual self, mm-hmm. which is talking about what you guys were talking about earlier. And, that, and then at the end, we, I, I'm fascinated by this line, we, long, we linger longer in the blue light. And I feel like, I don't wanna to read too much into it, but it seems like we think about the parts of ourselves that we want to think about the good parts about us or the contributions we have, but we don't want to, we don't want to linger in the areas of darkness or the, or the shades that irritate us or irritate other people. And, um, and with that last line, it seems to speak of how little control we have over who we are or what we are uh, or that singular self that we try to project to the world. And um, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, so I, for me, I'm, I'm obsessed with the, the, like the very beginning and the very end, and then all the ways that's untangled in the middle. <laughs> does, does anybody know enough about William Carlos Williams to tell me if there's a direct, I am a bowl of cold plums? I don't think you can have plums in the, in the poem without there being some, without the reader hearkening to that poem. Absolutely. And instead of it being the last one, it's a, I am a bowl of cold plums, right? So it's full and and it's so, it's so very- I just, I'm sorry. It's so incongruous to the rest of the images. Like I am outside and, and I don't remove, I am a bowl of cold plums. I, I loved the way that stopped me. It's a very domestic image. Um, and I get this <clears throat> kind of suburban uh, uh, bourgeois, and, and that's, that's, I don't use that in a derogatory sense. Uh, so we have the, the speaker in the yard doing yard work. He is, he or she, I'm presuming he is cutting the fallen li- tree limbs that have been uh, taken down by winds. 
we get to remove stack and mulch the dead wood. So this is yard work. Map my internal geography. I'm a bowl of cold plums. I'm a body of words, an uproar, and otherwise replace words with birds. Fill a tree, take your pick, redact free will. Now we get replace map with mine. So we go back to mine my internal geography, which goes, which suggests the act of writing the poem again. And then I'm all the more convinced that the bowl of, bowl of cold plums is a reference to Williams. Mm -hmm. Leave the workers. Well, yeah. Um, but it's, it's also like, I, I mean, I am a bowl of cold plums. I am a body of words. Right, like I'm the poem, like the whole that whole postmodern project of like the instability of the self and like you know who's speaking, we're all speaking, right? Like I mean, there's something really um, satisfyingly explosive to me in that moment. Like it just sort of like I don't know. It, it, for me, it sort of plays on all of like I don't know, my postmodernist poetic uh, resonances. Like it, it tingles for me. Is, yeah, I am a body of words. Like, I am the poem, right? I am the bowl of cold plums. I am a body of words, enough for an otherwise. Replace words with birds, right? Okay, and I can be birds too. Like, I I don't really need it to make complete sense. I need it to make associative sense. Mm -hmm. And, like, in terms of associative sense, in terms of, like, I am this image system and I am this body of work and I am inside of it and I produce it, but I am also the thing that I make myself into. Like, I don't know, that works for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're enjoying the linger, right? Are we enjoying the linger? Uh, yeah, I think I, I am. I'm, I'm with you, Jason, in terms of uh, of your reading. And I, I think I'm still, when I get to those last three lines, I think there's still either either the poet is making is uh, insecure perhaps about the associative power of the poem and is making a more um, more demonstrative connection to semantic meaning to ground the poem. Or the poem is working toward those last three lines, that, that one long compound sentence, and is trying to earn that sentence. That we are not what we say or do? That I am used to defending the singularity of our Oh, story. okay. Because um, I mean, for me, when we get to like redact, redeem, it's about the poem, the poet not having a social responsibility, that the poem can't redeem anything. And we just, we just stay there because we like it and we're not identical to the work that we do. We are not what we say or do. Like those, those felt very resonant for me without kind of being overdetermined. Okay, that makes sense. I like what you said, Jason, about associative sense because so many sentences, if, if, if they were on, like, we are the answer, you know, if it wasn't in the context of everything around it, it would uh, 
make you look askance, right? But it makes so much sense when you read it. Right. Right. Who are you? Extinguish the implicit. We are the answer. Some of us are no longer breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that works for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, terribly tricky. Whatever this guy did, I don't know what the hell he did, but whatever he did, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it really, it really comes down to how it washes over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if it washes over you in a satisfying way, then you're going to go back to it. And as it keeps washing over to you, like the meaning is going to shift and change and yield. Yeah, I'd go back to this one even if I didn't like it. I would, I would go back and make sure it was something I didn't Why? miss. I'm like that too, but I think that's something wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I never go back over stuff I don't like. I usually really? just drop it as soon as I can. But do you do you read a book when you're not enjoying the book? Do you no. have to finish it? No, I don't. I I did for years. I only very recently can walk away from a book. Yeah. I used to feel like well, I had to finish it, even if I was suffering. No. Uh, what do we make now, uh, now that I'm sold on how the poem is operating, the thing that doesn't fit for me now is the replace glass heart with scalpel. Yeah, I agree. That kind of bothers me. But it doesn't. What? Why? I don't know. It just doesn't. It kind of clashes with everything else. But I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me enough Okay, Jason, you were you were exclaiming over there, and you're you were it's loving fun. those words. <laughs> Replace glass heart with scalpel. It's gorgeous. I mean, it disorients you to start with. Like it kind of says, like, don't read this poem unless you're up for some kind of, you know, <laughs> it's the spoiler alert. <laughs> play. I mean, they're gorgeous images. I mean, you know, a glass heart, which is this, you know, useless, beautiful, fragile thing, and scalpel, which cuts open the body. Like, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think I can explain it. I can't like kind of say like, oh, here's the, you know, here's what it means. But I, I think that in terms of like those two images together and the way that they kind of like explode the body and transform it in these like really interesting ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a great entry to the poem. For, for me, the poem does enough where, I mean, it gets, I mean, certainly everything isn't going to be perfect according to our readings and things are going to bother us. And certain poems do enough to get passes on things. So, I mean, uh-huh. for me, yeah, I'm not crazy about this line, and it seems to clash, but everything else I like so much, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, listeners and you guys probably know that I hate poems that are about writing poetry. And um, I don't hate this at all. I the opposite of hate this. And um, replace, I feel sort of like Jason does, I guess, to start off with replace glass heart with scalpel, I thought the whole thing was going to be like a series of um, instructions on how to how to edit a poem, right? And which didn't necessarily please me. But glass heart with scalpel already, as Jason just said, kind of rocked me on my heels for a second. Made me go what? And and want more, you know? Yeah. So. So, guys, I think we might be ready to vote. I think we've talked about this for quite a while. All right. I could talk about this one for a long time. I know. But guess what? Here's the wonderful <laughs> surprise for you. There's another poem by the same guy coming up next. So stay tuned. It's not really over. Um, so shall we? 
Uh, Greg, the way this works is you're going to message our uh, fabulous sound engineer, Joe Zhang, and so is Jason. And uh, Tim and I in the studio are going to do the old school PBQ, one, two, three, shoot, thumb up, thumb down kind of vote. All right. Are we ready? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, we're wait. not ready. Um, neighbors two and neighbors three. Yeah. So we're mm-hmm. saying they're not they're not intended to be read together. Um, I am saying that we would be able to publish one and not the other. I, I'm sure they're part of a suite or a series for Daniel Beagleson. Um, but we are looking at them as separate entities and to themselves. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, guess what, y'all? He had neighbors one and somebody else already snagged it. <gasps> yes. That happened. <gasps> that happened. We have to act fast. You think there's no drama <laughs> in the land of literature, right. and there is drama and intrigue and tension. And... Last. Right. So so we better vote now. Oh, so shoot. I should, I should read. Yeah, let's so, vote. <laughs> so how do what? I vote here? Um, d- you click on the chat. I, yeah. Click the chat button, and then you oh, should. Oh, there it is. Oh, I yeah. see. I'm sorry. Okay, I thought I was clicked. Okay, perfect. So, so you type, and we say one, two, three, shoot. And Joe tells us what you guys type. Um, we're having confusion in the studio. It's mayhem. Oh, guess what? We vote yes and no here at PBQ. We are brave soldiers who vote yes and no. Thumbs go up and thumbs go down. Oh. <laughs> There's no sideways at these meetings. I was trying to be discreet, Pardlo. <laughs> Come on, prize winner. All right. I knew that was going to happen and that we could say it's a unanimous yes. Yay! <laughs> that was a first. Greg! That was a first. <laughs> Greg, you were part of us. <laughs> um, Do you right. remember when we used to end up with like the thumbs at like 45 degree angles? Oh, like you would get like increasingly Lord. like minor shades. Like you needed a protractor to like determine whether Oh, the, I uh, get so angry <laughs> about that. You have no idea. You have no idea. I will not tolerate that. So We're getting some I, idea. We're seeing a little bit right now. <laughs> And you can't even see my face. You're only hearing my voice. You're not even witnessing my body language. I'm sitting up really straight and clutching my coffee. But um, I think I'm going to make an executive decision that you're all going to agree with. We're going to have to table the other poet. I think that we've... uh, We've had such a wonderful conversation, and now we're, uh, I don't want to give her short shrift. So um, let's now discuss Daniel Beagleson's Neighbors 3. And and I think, I think Greg, if it's not too much pressure to throw this on you, since you are a guest and you're not here all the time, maybe you could read it? Maybe? Absolutely, yeah. Maybe. Yay! Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Neighbors 3. Replace dog with brother take walks on burnt grass and return under treeless sky exchange directives for best practices practice your run along the fence line monarchs carry on along the highways lined with casual wildflowers extinguish your sense of silence you let your dog shit in my yard The ocean levels rise, mortgage rates rise, 
Don't pretend to love one another. Turn your predatory beak. Redact the brackish ocean. Turn it black and red. Exchange ocean for consumption. Predatory lending of labor. Be still. We are the colony of bees in collapse and also the tractor trailer stocked with hives and the long driver on the CB radio and the farmers waiting for pollinators. See the red dust clouds rolling. See the black clouds closing. A tongue over a top lip. Bite hard and rain. Extinguish the dog barking. Redact the self. Exchange dog for children. Barking for howling. There is a wall beyond which our labor persists without us and we don't dare to look. Replace words with words, yours or mine. We don't act upon what we see. Redact the sea. We are the murmurations leafing out over the highway, pouring over the sky. We suffer decentered as we imagine stone, human again. We don't know each other at all. Very nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And I I miss the kind of um, craziness of like glass heart and scalpel, like dog with brother. Like you know, now I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> this one seems seems much more seems to have much more social commentary. Clear yeah. agenda. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is much more direct, and I, I kind of I miss the um, sort of ecstatic quality of the second one. Hmm. Neighbors too. This feels like it's very much about neighbors. <laughs> like this one, like I see the neighbors, I see the family growing, um, I see the you know like exchange ocean for consumption is is very direct, right? That like we're filling yeah. the oceans with things that we've consumed and. <clears throat> Right. I, it's what really I a problem. Is a is a climate anxiety poem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Well, I think there, that's the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. If if there's a stack of poems and you have a whole different range of complexities, I think this one is obviously more simple than the other one, and maybe it's just I, I don't know what the other the other neighbors are going to be like, but I feel like we get a little break with this one. It's a little simpler. It speaks a little more directly mm -hmm. to 2010s. Um, and it's just long enough where it doesn't keep us there too long and sort of acts as a baseline to everything else. But yeah, it certainly doesn't get your mind all lit up like mm -hmm. the other poem. I mean, yeah, it makes me feel a little anxious and uncomfortable, but... I'm kind of uncomfortable all the time anyway now because of... <laughs> well, aren't we all uncomfortable? Yeah. Like, don't we live in the age of... Yeah, so I think it hits that note, um, which is spe uh, so specifically 2016 to 2018. Mm. Um, that's what I like about it, but uh, some of the lines kind of irritate me, the repetition of the redact and the, the kind of... There's about five lines here that to me just are a little too obvious or just 
Where? Aren't turn-ons. I don't know, like redact, uh, the ocean levels rise. I mean, I kind of get that with everything else. And it's kind of a pop hit. Um, I like, like redact the brackish ocean. At least you have brackish there to kind of get your head swimming a little. Um, barking for howling, redact the sea. Uh, yeah, there, yeah, I see what you're saying. The, the the references are more on the nose here with the colony of bees. There's, they're yeah. more um, topical. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Because this is more of like a one to one. Like mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking about. Right. Well, and is, and why is that? I feel like you're saying, and therefore that's less than. Is it less than? Because, and it's it's a, because I don't of its think it's less than. I think it's a different strategy, and I'm. And the reason I was suspicious about reading the poems separately was because my reading of Neighbors Two, in in my head, I'm thinking the poem is tending toward social commentary, and. Um, and I was trying to figure out if it was doing it in uh, a kind of less strenuous manner. And this one is doing that work in the way, um, in the way that the, the kind of frontal lobe cognition, the, the, the rational poet yeah. wants, to, wants to do that work, yeah. So I don't think I'm not saying one is uh, sort of better or worse than the other. I'm trying to figure out the strategy. Right. And yeah. Well, I mean, and it's interesting too. I just told you all that Neighbors One was published elsewhere. He submitted one, two, and three to us, right. and number one got snagged before we got to it. And um, you know, because we are we are publishing this in context in a way, right? Like if we've already accepted two, so would two and three speak to one another, dialogue with one another. It, you know, we, we um, can't pretend, even though I said we're looking at these as standalone, and we do whenever we get a suite. We, we look at each one as an individual poem. But we also must consider the fact that two will be right there, you know, for your viewing pleasure. Yeah. So so if that, if that should affect our decision, and ultimately, you know? My reaction as a reader is I want to know when I when I see these two back to back, I want to know how many there are, and I want to see them. Oh, really? Yeah, I want to I want to read all yeah. of them. I mean, I the, yeah, the thing the the little things that are irritating me about this poem are little, but overall, what is going on in both of the poems to me are interesting, and I like that I like the two different strategies, and I'm curious about other strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, eventually Daniel Beagleson will have a book of poems and we'll get to see them all together. I, I assume that's the trajectory here, right? Um, it's like, remember that great, that guy we loved, Matt Kinsey, who we saw at AWP yeah. with the, the Giant series? He, you know, so, um, so this is a, a taste, this is a sample of what we might get to view as a whole down the line. Yeah, I would hope so. I, would... I think it's great that you want to see it all. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's part of the, I mean, yeah, there, there's a very big difference between poems that go into the universe on their own, either through journals or through um, anthologies, 
and poems that go into the world as part of a collection. And they're the same poems, but the neighborhood, what is it? Isn't like the odd in line, like, I like the house, but not the neighborhood, mm. right? That like, um, it, it makes a big difference. Um, mm. The context of the poem appears in. Sure. Right. So we have to think for our readers. But I was, right? I, was, I was thinking of them kind of decontextualized. Like I was not thinking about them the way Greg is pushing us to. Uh-huh. Uh, say that again. So you're, I mean, you're really <laughs> thinking about them as a sequence and you're kind of thinking about kind of what the two of them resonated against each other say. Yeah. And I was really thinking about them as kind of individual poems. I was thinking like this poem is doing this and this poem is doing that. Like I was really seeing them as like quite separate yeah. entities. But you're right. If we publish both of them, then they're definitely going to resonate against each other. Yeah, so this one has, um, there's less thrill in the language and there, there seems to be, well, yeah, as I said, social commentary earlier, but there's a, there's even a, uh, <clears throat> the sentiment is even clearer here. We don't know each other at all. There's a, that's a regret. And so there's more, I think of an emotional presence in this one in three. Mm-hmm that um i don't know my inclination is to is that the the less the less electrically charged the language is in this one the more it's relying on a kind of sentiment that we already know and that is doesn't climate doesn't climate change suck? Mm -hmm. and, well, yeah. I, I would say it's not just that doesn't climate change suck. It's that like the the fear that we have about <coughs> climate change is one iteration of fear that we have. And that the relationship with the neighbor and the growth of the family and the way that his own um, lifespan is playing out is a mirror of that anxiety. Th th those anxieties ultimately mm -hmm. merge and look a lot like each other. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, like you can replace words with words makes me feel like it doesn't matter right, right. Like it, yeah right yeah there's, yeah there's a kind of um the apathy mm -hmm. that he's uh, sending up mm -hmm. but I, and I like where it's up. placed though i think where it's placed makes a lot of sense it makes it not heavy-handed for me because he's built up to that i mean this is something that i think about a lot in terms of um how our different templates, how our different kind of emotional templates and paradigms play out in other spaces um, and how the way that you feel about the environment is going to somehow turn up in the way you feel about your family or the way that you feel about your family is gonna turn up in the way that you feel about the environment. But all of these, um, 
emotional structures mirror each other in these like really complicated ways. But um, I don't know, do you feel like that's like, am I, does that no. feel like that's what's in the poem to you guys? I, I think that is what's, I, I agree that's what's going on in the poem and that it, it resonates or it has, it, it implicates how we construct our communities and our relations, our sort of social and political relations to one another. I'm, I'm gonna uh, go back to the replace words with words. So the way where this poem is ending for me is on futility and a kind of uh, hopelessness. We don't act upon what we see, redact the sea, take away the sea. We suffer decentered as we imagine stone. We don't know each other at all. Um, yeah, so there's a, that note is futility and hopelessness for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm not a, a futile and hopeless person at all, but I really, I like the way this funnels down to that. Mm. The, the, I mean, we've gone from your dog shits in my yard, the mundanity of that, right? Mm -hmm. To this in the end. Mm -hmm. Tim, no, it just a big it, breath it, there? no, the dog shit thing it reminds me of a moment last year where this dog shit on our garbage when I went outside and I looked at the guy and I said, you like, really, you can't find another place for your dog to shit on than our garbage bag. And somebody's got to throw that in the garbage truck. And he looked at me with this kind of it was like a sociopathic hollowness oh. in his eyes. <laughs> And he said, it couldn't be helped. And I thought, <laughs> I, and there was su the, the thing that struck me, there was such a distance between us as human beings. And I just thought, this is, I, I don't know if I like where we are right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just, I thought. We don't know each other at all. This is, yeah. this is not good. <laughs> um, and it just, and I thought, well, it's, maybe it's going to get better, but it doesn't seem like it's getting better. <laughs> and uh, I, for oh. I don't. This poem to me is I'm has have a, to go all KVM when this vote's I, over. I, <laughs> but the, the the element of truth in this poem, I think, is there are certain irritating things, but I like the the things that are being said in the poem. I think I might want to publish this for the line "Bite hard and rain." Hell yeah. So, I don't know, guys. Are we are we talked out? Are we ready to vote? Let's talk about um, the first one again. <laughs> <laughs> neighbors two. Neighbors I don't know. I feel, really, I feel sad. Yeah, oh, sure. I think you're supposed to. <laughs> I think Daniel did his job. His objective has okay. been met. If you're sad, yeah. All right. And and feeling hopeless and futile and. But it's kind of a smart And then Tim sad. didn't help at yeah. all with the dog shit story. But I know, that's a really, like, that's a terrible story. <laughs> that is a terrible story. Uh-uh. But look, we're here. We're united in this reading. That's true. Daniel has written this for us. He was very gracious about allowing us to discuss it on the podcast. You can find your, you can find your tribe, right? All right. All right. All right, let's, let's get to it. All right, let's do it. One, two, three, vote.
And it's in. Woo! Thank you, Danny. Congratulations. Neighbors two and neighbors three. And now here's where I'm going to go, KVM, because I was thinking I was bubbling up with this. I was dying to do this. Mr. Rogers has two movies this year. (laughs) There is a Mr. Rogers Neighborhood documentary. And then there is a, a, you know, historical fiction movie with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Um, Those of you who know me know that I grew up in Pittsburgh. But many of you probably don't know, I met Mr. Rogers. And I was actually in the land of (laughs) make-believe. And I um, sang Were you like in the studio audience? uh, No, darling. I sang on the Joe Nangri talent show. (gasps) Wow. It's all true. It's all true. Wow. Absolutely. And and Mr. Rogers surprised us by, uh, we thought we were just getting a tour of the studio. And Mr. Rogers showed up. And um, it was really, I really do remember every detail. I'm not going to take up everybody's time with it. But, but wow. um, honestly, like seeing the, you know, there's been all this buzz about him lately because of uh, the 50-year anniversary. And I was watching the trailer for the documentary the other day. And, um, the blurbs that they're that the press is is putting on it, like the quotes that they're using, are in a time of darkness. Mr. <laughs> Rogers will, you know, you know, we we need Mr. Rogers now, kind of thing, right, Joe? Um, it, I watched the trailer yesterday with my girlfriend, and I cried. Oh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> have, yeah. have you seen? You can watch it on YouTube when he explains the death of Robert F. Kennedy with the oh, yeah. balloon. Oh, yeah. I, like, I just sobbed. Like, Absolutely. I, I and, just sobbed. And another video that's going viral right now is when he spoke um, to try to get funding back for children's TV. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's being aired a lot right now, too. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I don't want to get really crazy, but Mr. Rogers, I mean, that's amazing that his work his work can be pulled out now and could potentially make any impact whatsoever, right? Like but it can. Like you're you you guys are weeping. Can it? It can, right? Mr. Rogers can But but Kath, what are you saying about the the poem and the and Mr. Rogers other than the obvious title? Um that this this poem, Neighbors Three, you know, left us very despondent and hopeless. And that is a view that we have to take, right? Mm-hmm. That there are two sides of the coin. Like that that dog, that man <clears throat> that let his dog shit on Tim's garbage bag. You know, I I uh, had a flood in my basement and took a suitcase out to my sidewalk and somebody walking down the suitcase that was ruined. Somebody walking down the street said, oh, gosh, that's a bummer that that happened to you. Let me go get you my suitcase. And I literally walked back in the house with a suitcase after walking out with a ruined suitcase. You know, so like life, there's two sides of that coin, right? There's two ways of looking at things. You can say people are good and people, you know, can be kind and and we can know one another. So I think it's right that Daniel Beagleson has this view. But that doesn't mean he feels that way all the time. We have to acknowledge our despondency as much as we have to acknowledge hope. Right. Yeah, I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think there are reactions. There's always a reaction. I feel like there are a lot of good, 
uh, positive reactions on the street level like that. I notice yeah. a lot of those every day. Um, right. I see the the dark forces right now. I think the issue is they're larger forces and they're more powerful and systemic forces. But there are a lot of things that are happening that I see all the time. You know, every couple hours I see something. Right. That's beautiful. Um, I hope so. That's what I mean. Like if Mr. Rogers just reminds us. Yeah. Of what humanity can be. And that's well, I, I think Mr. Rogers also represents a kind of decency yeah. that is that we don't have. I mean, even the people, I don't think any, like, there's so much snark and there's so, I mean, we're just so vicious right now in terms of our public discourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the trolls versus the smugs, right? It's like sure. this sort of dominant narrative about how Americans interact and to have someone who's, you know, decent like that's that's what struck me in, in the tanya harding movie like the coach is so decent yeah like, it's, it's, i just saw that it this weekend talking, that but it is yeah. like it's like oh someone who's decent yeah yeah someone who displays decency yeah i mean i mean i don't know i don't know i, I would rather end on a mr rogers note you know and and uh I mean, I guess even find your tribe can be taken very negatively if you look at it like Tim would, that we have this uh, two different camps and we're so opposed that, you know, will we ever um, be- manage to get it together? But isn't there something at the core of us that's Mr. Rogers like? Yeah. yeah, I think there is. Yeah. Um now I know, and that's not a very beautiful story. But when I first came to Philadelphia, oh no, no, if no, it's this is there's shitting. No, or no, anything. there's a rat, but it's a oh, beautiful thing. Good lord! There was a, a rat climbing on the outside of a garbage can of the subway. Beautiful. And, no, but all the people on the platform were people from all different walks of life, sure, ages and ethnic backgrounds, and everybody huddled together to protect themselves against the rat. And I was looking around, and I thought, well, this is kind of beautiful here. We're all we all suddenly like each other. Yeah, and we're all looking out for each other. <laughs> and we need more of this yeah. in the world. Takes. Yeah. I mean. It's a common enemy. A yeah. sacrificial rat. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of the. the One time uh, I, was, I was grabbed in the train station by a, a gang of teenage boys. And immediately afterwards, a group of other people literally surrounded me in a circle to protect me from it happening again. And I thought that that was exactly what we're talking about, right? The juxtaposition against like the, the evil and the good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody said a word. It was very, you know, voiceless, but uh, there was this consensus among the other people that they all stood around because the boys were still down in the station, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. They just came and stood around me and, as a protective barrier wall and nobody said a word. Wow. I, yeah. So... So I don't know. I gotta lift this mood back up one more time, and I say we play a game and we guess what is the pattern of Pardlo's pajamas. I'm gonna say there's cowboys and Indians. Glad. Uh, I was gonna oh, say what? What, what did he say? <laughs> what kind of game is that? I was gonna say plaid. I was gonna say red, green, and black plaid. I wanted to say plaid, but what I did said say? cowboys did... and Indians to be funny. Was it, what, what did he say? Dear Lord. I said Cowboys and Indians just yeah. be funny. We all knew it was plaid. Jeez, oh, man. Now I have to go out and find uh, some Cowboy and Indians pajamas. Yeah. Yep. 
Do they, even, do they still make them? Can you still get like <laughs> no, right? yeah, genocide yeah. pajamas? You know what? I guess if my brain was still 50 years ago, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, there would have been a lot of Cowboy Nadine pajamas available. Genocide pajamas. <laughs> you have any genocide pajamas? Now I think most pajama pants that are funny are like superheroes or dogs, right? There's I see a lot of dog ones. I, in fact, have some Dalmatian pajama pants. You know, one time Jason slept over and he stole my pajama pants. You gave me your pajama pants. Well, I did not steal well, them. You, you said. Well, you I kind of kept you. talking about how nice your butt looked, and I had no way to argue that. <laughs> they, they, I love those pajama pants, and they are red sateen with yellow polka dots, and I wear them all the time. Do you still wear them? I love them. Do you think of me every time? Yes, of course I think of you every time. Yay! Okay, that's how we're going to end this episode. Um, so, Greg, thank you so much uh, for yeah, joining yeah, us great today. To talk to you guys. Yeah. Um, um, please come it. back, do it again. You want to do it again? Will you do it again? Can I get you sure, recorded? Of course, of course. Yeah. Yay! We have witnesses now. Um, <laughs> so, thank you, Daniel Beagleson, for your work and for allowing us to discuss it here on the air on this episode. And um, Thanks, readers, once again, uh, send in questions. We're going to have a special answering your questions episode coming up soon. Uh, let us know how you think we're doing. Follow us on all the social media platforms and uh, keep reading.